everybody. It's really good to, to be here with you, and, and thank you so much, Graham, for inviting me back. Um, I, I clearly didn't upset anyone too much last time, and um, it's, it's really a joy to be here with you again, and, and yesterday was a, was a blast. If you weren't there, um, you know, don't miss out on this, uh, you know, building momentum for the, um, the mission. It's going um, to be amazing, and, you know, just to say, without any flattery, you know, this is something that uh, Peter and I are doing regularly. We don't normally get this kind of buzz. We don't normally get 70 people out on a Saturday for evangelism. It's a sign and a wonder. Um, you know, it really is. So um, thank you. Thank you once again. Well, the privilege of, um, of, of being an itinerant is that you get to come and have potentially slightly more of a, woof, you know, slightly more of an impact because um, you're not as known. And also, if God gives you something that has a prophetic edge... Um, you, you can be useful in the, the potter's hand to kind of just just speak into something without knowing in too much of any detail or or, um, or or being worried about treading on any toes or all the kind of things that can go on when um, you're, you're you know local. Um, with that comes a responsibility, but um, God is very gracious to me. Um, hopefully, Emmanuel will tell you at some point um, uh, that, um, that God sometimes gives you a, a word in season. And, um, and, and I'm really praying that this is um, for you this afternoon. Um, uh, the, the, the message to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Now, there's, there's, there's going to be quite a lot of speculation. I hope san- sanctified speculation from me this afternoon. And hopefully it stirs thoughts um, in you and inspirations in you. I think the book of Revelation has to be approached with immense humility. I think people fall into a huge error and deception when they come to it without huge humility. You know, we're all probably wrong about something in, in Revelation, or maybe um, I certainly am about a whole bunch of stuff. I might be right about one or two things, but we have to come with humility. But anyway, just, just to warn you, there's going to be some sanctified speculation. Um, some commentators think the angel is, there's literally an angel assigned to every church to defend it, to protect it from all the onslaughts of the enemy. Um, I believe that's true. Um, it can also be speaking to the pastor of um, the seven churches, the seven angels. Um, so I just want, want to just su- submit this word to, to you, Graham, and, 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 and you can weigh it, and uh, the congregation can weigh it, and, and see, if there's, see if there's anything um, in it. Um, I don't know how you get on with the, the book of Revelations. It's, um, it's a challenging one. I don't know how we, really we could live through the last five years and, and Christians not be going and, and turning into the book of Revelations and saying, my goodness me, what on earth is going on? But um, Christians can have quite a schizophrenic relationship with um, the book of Revelation. In fact, in the um, council of, was it Nicaea, when the church fathers came together, two books in the Bible narrowly made it into the canon of Scripture. There was a lot of contention. Uh, James and Revelation. (laughs) I won't go into James, but Revelation is just too way out there. It's it's, um, apocalyptic. It's esoteric, it's unknowable, it's mysterious, it's metaphorical, it's symbolic. What on earth do you do with it? It's really um, quite a challenge, um, the book of Revelation. Um, and, and if you're someone that has to know the answer, that has, everything has to be solvable, if it, it, you, know, you have to be able to pin it down. Um, if you've got that Greek mindset, I must know, I must be able to logic it out, I must be able to rationalize it, you're going to really struggle with the book of Revelation. I think it's much easier with a Hebraic um, worldview, a Hebraic um, kind of mentality to take, take hold of it. 
But um, the fact is it's in Scripture. And it's the one book in the Bible that we're specifically told there's a blessing attached to reading it. So I'm going to be blessed this afternoon, reading it and teaching it. You're going to be blessed because it's been read to you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Um, we, can, we can assume a blessing from Jesus for reading this book. I wonder, if, again, some sanctified speculation. It's because he knew that we might have some issues. He knew that we might struggle with it. <coughs> he knew that we might have fallen into one or two pitfalls with the book of Revelation. And, you know, throw a rock in the air, you'll, you'll, you'll hit a Christian who's pinned themselves down. So this is going to be the end. That's going to be the end. This is going to be the world, uh, the beast. This is going to be the, 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 the beast system. And, and possibly they've all got it wrong. I don't know how we fall into that trap because we're specifically told not to do that. How much clearer could Jesus make it? Nonetheless... <laughs> Each generation, Christians fall into those, those historic traps with the, the, the book of Revelation. But blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Do you ever struggle with God soon? You know, what does soon mean, God? For goodness sake, when I say soon, I mean in the next half an hour. With the Lord, a day is as a thousand years a day, a thousand years is as a day. Um, it's really difficult. Timings are notoriously difficult. We've got to have humility. Um, but nonetheless, it's worth the effort to wrestle with the book of Revelations. I, I, I really I, I recommend it to you. Um, you don't have to have all the answers. You can just read it and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through it. Well, um, we, we want to be biblical Christians we want, to, um, we want to be absolutely um, um, well-taught. We want to be well-versed in Scripture. Um, even if you don't particularly feel drawn to it, if you want to be um, <laughs> a true disciple, I believe we have to have the whole counsel of Scripture. We've all got our favorite bits. We've all got, we like the Gospels. We've all got the bits that we, we like. Um, but we need to be biblically literate in these days we're living in. Would you agree? We're just not going to survive unless we're biblically literate. We can't live on someone else's knowledge. We can't read on someone else's Bible reading. We have to personally invest ourselves into the Scriptures. That's what's going to keep us solid. That's what's going to keep us rooted through these, these, turbulent, um, these turbulent days. And as much as I, I, I pray and, and I, I, I seek the, the outpouring of the Spirit, um, if we want to live in the Spirit, we better be rooted in the Word or we're going to fall into the same deceptions that previous generations have done. Well, John models this to us. The Apostle John there on the island of Patmos, possibly in his 80s, 90s, chipping away at stones in forced labor, um, ripped away from the seven churches that he was pastor of in, in, in what we would now call Turkey. Um, he is absolutely saturated in Scripture. He is absolutely immersed in the Word of God. I love prophecy. I love to, I love to, 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 to be prophetic by the grace of God. But I know, and the, and, the, and the Bible models, John models, if we want to be prophetic people, if we want to prophesy, we better be versed in the Word of God. Of the 39 Old Testament books, 24 are referenced in Revelations. Of the 404 verses in the book of Revelations, 400 are scriptural references. 
Isn't that incredible? He's absolutely saturated in, in the Word of God. I know John Wesley um, spoke about being so full of the Word of God, so immersed in the Word of God that we, we have blood that is bibline. Wherever we're cut, the Word of God comes out. And that's not in a, you know, holier than now and, and quoting the King James all day long. But if you're around someone who loves God and is immersed in Scripture, you find that just the scriptural references come out. Actually, our, our culture, the King James Bible, the English language, Shakespeare, you know, many, of our, many of our sayings, our aphorisms, are actually scripturally based. So John is absolutely immersed in the Word of God. So he's very well equipped to prophesy. If we want to live, if we want to move in the Spirit, we've got to live in the Word of God. The Gospels show us, and I'm, I'm dealing in broad strokes here, the Gospels show us Jesus as prophet, the Epistles show us Jesus as priest, Revelation shows us Jesus as king. Don't we need to know Jesus as king in these days? The conquering lion. He's coming back to this. We're not going to be left in this chaos forever. He's coming back. He's the, he's the Lion of Judah. Do not weep. See, the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, he has overcome. He has overcome. And he's coming back. He's the king. If we leave revelations out the picture, we're not going to know Jesus fully as, as he is. If you met Christians who say, well, I just like Jesus. I just like Jesus. I don't like these, these other books. And they disturb me. And Ezekiel and Jeremiah and and some of those books, and then there's Revelation. Well, you don't fully know Jesus unless you fully know the Word of God. You have a problem with the Trinity. We have a problem with the Trinity. If we say, no, we'll leave that behind. Because it was the Spirit of Jesus that was inspiring Jeremiah. Do you know that? It's the Spirit of Jesus that was inspiring Ezekiel. It's the Spirit of Jesus that was inspiring Revelation. We can't pick and choose. It's the same Spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? We have a major problem with the Trinity. Well, God doesn't say that. It's different in the Gospels. Well, it's the same spirit. God hasn't changed his mind. He's working towards the same, same end um, victory. Hallelujah. So, the message to um, Philadelphia is one of seven in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. And there are lots of theories about these messages to the, the seven churches. I'm just going to throw some out. Maybe it's all. Maybe it's some. Maybe it's one of them. Could it be that it literally represents these seven churches that John was pastor of in, in Turkey? It's interesting that he, he gives the messages in sequence, the same sequence that a messenger would, go, go, um, would travel in if he were taking a scroll. <laughs> like in Habakkuk, it talks about um, you know, the scroll running with the message. It's, God is incredible, isn't he? He's, he's the God of the natural, the practical, he's the God of the spiritual. <laughs> um, so maybe it just literally meant those seven churches at that time that John was sending a prophetic message to because the word of God is not chained. Hallelujah. <laughs> Paul wrote, what was it, a fifth of the New Testament in prison or on very constrained circumstances. John is writing the book of Revelation in effective prison on the island of Patmos. The word of God is not changed. You might think, well, I'm limited in this and I can't speak out at work and I can't, all the can'ts and and, and the limitations, the word of God is not chained. <laughs> we just need to find ways to unleash it. 
It's never changed. Could it be that the, the seven churches represent the state of individual Christians? Now, if, if you're interested, you know, when you go home, when you've got some time, ask Jesus, of those seven churches, which am I? Which, which characteristics are in my life? <laughs> Where do I fit? You might be amazed at what Jesus says to you. Could they represent, and we were talking about dispensationalism yesterday, the seven church ages, which... Um, you know, it's a popular theology that these seven messages to the seven churches, they're in a sequence of church ages, and, and most of the people that adhere to that view say, well, we're in the Laodicean age now, which is kind of fine, and um, you can see they've got a point, except that it, it's all about the Western church, and completely ignores the revivals that are happening in the East. <laughs> Africa and Asia isn't in the Laodicean age, <laughs> quite the reverse, doing rather nicely. <laughs> Do with some of that over here. So, it's, 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 it's interesting, it's possible, um, but it um, has to be approached with, with some humility. Are we going to see those seven churches, those types, if you like, of churches, re-emerge in the, 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 the end-time church before Jesus reappears? Should we also be asking Jesus, which of those seven churches is our church? Well, I want to suggest to you that God is saying, you are a Philadelphian church. That's why he's got me rambling on this afternoon, because you are a Philadelphian church. That's the, the message that God wants to, to give to you. But you can weigh that, and you can go back to God and say, what do you think? Well, let's think about Philadelphia as a physical place for a moment. Um, it, it, it's a real place, and um, it was built by a ruler, a Greek ruler called Aratus. Sorry, Attilus. Um, he built it because he loved his brother so much, hence Philadelphia. <laughs> I think that's lovely. <laughs> There's that brotherly love was so in his heart, he said, I want to build my brother a city. Well, me and my brother, we've got a way to go. I'm not sure he's going to be building me any cities for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Probably need a bit, bit of healing in there. But um, imagine having that kind of brotherly love that is so overwhelmed, you just have to find a way to express it. I know, let's build him a city. He must have been a powerful, powerful man. But on top of that, oh, and incidentally, Philadelphia in Pennsylvania was built for the same reason. William Penn built Philadelphia because he loved his brother so much. Well, that's a good idea. Got to build my brother a city. There you go. But it was also built to be a missionary city. These Greeks, they like to import or export their ideas. like to, to export their demonic gods and their demonic religions. And they, they understood missionary work long before the church got a handle on it. <laughs> so let's build a city. Let's build a colony of Greek culture. It was called Little Athens because it was absolutely saturated with demonic gods. Um, gods everywhere. So it's same, as, same as Athens. And we're going we're gonna to send... We're gonna, we're going to be um, a missionary city that sends that culture, that sends that, that message, demonic message, these five big roads into the interior. So it was built as a missionary city. Don't you love how redemptive God is? He'll even take things that man in, their, man in his pride built or commissioned or started um, with the express intention of doing the opposite of loving God and serving God, and he'll redeem it to the uttermost. There's almost nothing. The God won't touch in his redemptive power um, if we're just willing to, to work with him. So it's kind of a symbol of Greek um, idolatry and culture. Um, and 
that, that, that message is going to be going into the interior and, and changing culture. Um, and de- effectively demonizing culture, let's just call it what it is. Don't we live in a demonic um, culture? <laughs> the demons are coming back in you know, big time. All kinds of ancient religions, paganism, it's all surging up. The witchcraft coming mainstream. Nature abhors a vacuum. We either have the kingdom of God or we have the dominion of darkness. Our, our culture wants to tell us there's a million shades of grey. There are not a million shades of grey. There's a kingdom of God and there's a dominion of darkness. <laughs> choose you this day who you serve. Let's choose light. <clears throat> so it's called Little Athens. So many gods, idols everywhere. It is in this very hostile, this very challenging spiritual atmosphere that God sends his church. You know, this, this, this idea that holiness is hiding away in a, a holy huddle and, and living a really sanitized Christian life and, and just shirking the, the culture that we're in is not, is not actually biblical. And this is a special call. We're called to, take, to bring the kingdom of God, to colonize earth with the culture of heaven <laughs> and, and not hide away, not hide our light under a bushel, but to reflect the light and culture of heaven into this this world. Well, the good news is Philadelphia is one of the two of the seven churches, the second and the sixth, to which God gives no rebuke. There's no condemnation. There's no, well, I think you're doing well in this area, but you're doing badly in that area. It's just commendation, just exhortation. I don't know about you, but that's, I, I would be quite happy with that from God. Um, some pretty scathing messages to some of the other churches. The missionary church, Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, there's no rebuke. If we're loving one another, we're doing pretty well. Heaven must be entering our culture. <laughs> the vertical side of things is normally pretty easy. God's so great and gracious and lovely and he saves us and redeems us and you know, we can clearly see the good he's doing us. It's the, it's the horizontal, that's where we get stuck often, isn't it? John said elsewhere, you can't say you love God who you can't see if you don't love your brother who you can see. So brotherly love, we need it. <laughs> There's no, common, no condemnation, though, for the church in Philadelphia. They're told not to forfeit their crown. Not to forfeit it, which implies they already have a crown. This is quite fascinating. There, there are ten crowns in Scripture I'm not going to do a teaching on it now. I'd have to come back another time. But there are 10 different crowns in Scripture. If you go through crown of life, crown of righteousness, all different crowns. I tend to think, you know, God doesn't mess around with words. If, if it's called something different, he's showing us there's, there's, there's more than one crown we can have. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne. There's more than one crown. They've already got their crown. That's pretty good because most of the... the um, the scriptures are, the crown is in the future. Paul says, henceforth is laid up for me the crown of glory. I think it's the crown of glory. Um, henceforth, it's something that's going to happen in the future. The church in Philadelphia, they've already got a crown. They're doing pretty well. They've already got something that they can cast at the feet of Jesus on, on, that, on that day. They're doing pretty well. They've already got a crown. They have little strength. You know, so, so often in our humanity... We like numbers. You know, we'd like to be, you know, worshipping with a thousand people on a Sunday. We'd like to be 
you know, it's nice to be at big conferences, isn't it? It's nice to feel like I'm part of something that's really big. I'm part of something that, you know, and, and, and to have, you know, big, strong people and, and, and influence. And if we could just get the mayor of Wolverhampton on side, and if we just had the right politicians, and if we just had some famous footballers, then we'd feel like we were really, you know, and if we had more resources and big, big businessmen came in and, and they just poured their, you know, their, opened their wallets into... We can always have excuses, you know, in the sweet by and by when we've got more resources, when we're stronger, when we've got this, when we've got that, when we've got our own building. There are a million excuses to put things off. Jesus is saying, no, no, you don't. You might feel small and insignificant and surrounded, almost gobbled up by this demonic culture, but you are strong. When you are weak, then you are strong. <laughs> in our weakness, in our inability is God's ability. So we're without, we're, we're without excuse. In fact, almost um, <laughs> like we need to be more weak, perfectly weak. You know, Gideon, shall I send more away? <laughs> um, we're, we're without excuse. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. It's so human to think in terms of authority and power and wealth and resources God's not actually massively interested in that. With a small number, he can do a huge amount. You can have a massive church that's doing very little evangelistically. It really doesn't follow that bigger is better and more. <laughs> Sometimes small and perfectly formed is exactly what Jesus wants. Agreements are so powerful. I my background is, is, is in Ichthus. I don't know if anyone's come across Ichthus Christian Fellowship. Faith Forster teaches powerfully on prayer and agreements. It's so much about, we've got to, if we find agreements in prayer, they're powerful. You know, a few people in agreement is worth a couple of hundred people who you know, can't agree on the color of the church carpet. <laughs> if we can find spirit agreements, these are really, we have a spirit agreement with Ian and Graham and Emmanuel, Peter, maybe others. We have a spiritual agreement that we're, we're, in a, we're in agreement that God is going to move in Wolverhampton. It's strong. You know, it's not like a human agreement. There's power in the spirit. There's power in spiritual agreements, godly agreements. So they're small in number. They've got little influence. Not many mature disciples. Major persecution from Rome is about to sweep through. And I'm not giving you that message this afternoon, but I feel the icy winds of persecution. I don't know if you do. They're not far off. I don't want that humanly. Of course I don't. I want my, you know, a holiday once a year. I want my comfortable life. I want to go home and binge watch MasterChef. I, I, want, I like my comforts. I want, well, <laughs> persecution is on the way for the Philadelphian church. <laughs> and God is saying, don't use that as an excuse to retract for the tortoise to pull its head in and, and come back under the shell. Quite the opposite. Go on the offensive. Attack is the best form of defense. When I say attack, I mean spiritual aggression. Go out with the gospel. You know, when it, when it feels um, completely hopeless, that's the moment when God's about to break out. Anyone like Lord of the Rings here? Oh, I love, I love it. Love the films. Extended edition. <laughs> that moment when Aragorn rides out and... Um, Whoever else, <laughs> the row in from, from um, the fortress of 
can't remember what it's called. It's hopeless. There are orcs swarming everywhere. You know, abs- defeat is imminent. And they ride out on their horses, and Gandalf comes down. The, um, <laughs> on the third day, look for him on, in the east. I'm a terrible anorak. But it's, there's, there's an aspect, Tolkien caught the spirit, caught the heart of God. <laughs> no, there's so, spiritual realities in those books that just, if, if, if you're a spiritual person, how could you, you can't miss them. You know, just when things seem absolutely black and hopeless, that's the moment when the light's about to break forth. You know, they've got no allies, lots of enemies. They've got the synagogue of Satan. It's interesting to conjecture, what is this synagogue of, of Satan? Well, you know, it sounds, is, is it an occult group, you know, swinging their pentagrams? And I think it's the Judaizers. I think it's the Jewish community. It's shocking, you know. <laughs> if you were a rabbinic Jew reading, it's shocking. Is, are you talking to me? You're calling me the church of Satan? The, the Judaizers are always hot on Paul's heels, snapping at his ankles, you know, De- determined to quench the grace, the gospel of grace, determined to wherever he went. I think that they, it could be that they were his thorn in the flesh. <laughs> those, those legalistic Pharisees, those, circumci- those dogs, those circumcisers, of the, chasing him round and, and doing the aftercare, doing the demonic alpha and the, you know, the <laughs> enemy version of <laughs> discipleship. <laughs> Well, now you're saved. Come under our wing, and we'll we'll take away all the grace and put you back under the law. Um, that's what. Not only have they got all these demon gods, but they've got the synagogue of Satan. The Judaizers are actively trying to pounce on anyone that's catching hold of the grace of God. So, if they if they could succeed, if they could thrive in that culture, then I think this church could do very well in 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 Wolverhampton. There's nothing to stop you. <laughs> So Jesus introduces himself as holy and true, and I think for each of the seven messages, it's significant how Jesus introduces himself. Have you noticed how Jesus comes not as we often as we want, but as we need? Sometimes we want the lamb, he comes as a lion. Sometimes we want gentle Jesus, he comes aggressively. You know, stand up, shoulders back, be a good soldier. You know, he comes as we need, not necessarily as we want. It's significant the way he introduces himself to the Philadelphian church, holy and true. To survive in that kind of culture, they're going to need to be a holy church. Really, any church to survive anywhere needs to be a holy church. But when I say holy, not the legalistic, hard, harsh, judgmental, legalistic, lovers of Jesus, so close to Jesus, so close to his heart, everything else just just falls away. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boasting of what they have and don't have, it falls away because they've fallen in love with Jesus. Holiness isn't a list of don'ts and can'ts and stop smoking, stop spitting, stop watching, stop going. It's about falling in love with Jesus and those things fall away. That's true holiness. It's magnetic. True holiness is magnetic. It, it, is, it draws people to us, not repels them. That's how they're going to overcome by being a holy church. How do you overcome? How do you become an overcomer? Well, you have... A lot of blimmin' things to overcome. You can't become an overcomer in a, in a, in a, in a laboratory. <laughs> I want to be an overcomer, don't you? All the rewards are to the overcomers. Salvation is free. Some people are going to squeak into heaven. I don't want to squeak into heaven. I want to be an overcomer. I want an overcomer's crown, don't you? <laughs> I don't want to be a pathetic, pitiful Christian. I want to be an overcomer. Well, that means you have to overcome a whole bunch of stuff. 
That's the, that's the same for the, the Philadelphians. <laughs> Have you ever prayed, Lord, how much, how many times? <laughs> how much do you want to become an overcomer? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> you, you, you can't become an overcomer when everything's just going your way. You can't submit to a leader when everything's just fine and dandy and you're getting it your way. You're only tested in submission when you're asked to do something you don't want to do. You only become an overcomer by, by having to overcome what seems like impossible circumstances at the time. And I heard um, someone um, wise say, pity the person who's got a small battle. Pity the person, you know, who needs prayer ministry because their nails broke and the hairdresser got their hair wrong. <laughs> Mine did. Um, <laughs> um, pity the person who's got a small battle. Big battle, big victory. Big overcoming, you know. Once you've won a battle con conclusively, you won't have to fight it again. And you'll have authority to bring other people into that same, that same victory. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If anyone in Philadelphia is going to see Jesus, it's got to be through a holy church. Where else are they going to see Jesus? Where else are the people of Wolverhampton going to see Jesus? Except in a victorious church. So we're given here. Um, they're given the key of David, um, and and there's, there's a whole rich teaching there out of Isaiah uh, 22 about a steward, Eliakim, in Jerusalem. He's a father in Jerusalem for the praise of God's glory, and it's a type of Christ. You can have a read of it later. It's not time now, but. Isaiah chapter 22, Eliakim, um, he's a type of Christ, um, and he has authority. He has the authority of God. He has a key. He's given a key. Jesus has many keys. He's got many crowns, the keys of the kingdom. But there are other keys, I believe. I think in, in Revelation we find other, other keys, and he's giving a key to the church in Philadelphia. And... Um, and why do you have keys? Well, it's to open doors. It's not so that you can put them on your belt and, and jangle about and show, impress people, look how many keys I've got. They, they're given to open doors. Have you ever tried to open a door without a key? You know, particularly a modern door, because they're you know, really sturdy doors now on houses, aren't they? You could break your shoulder. You could be there all day, unless you've got one of those, you know, the police have got those things that you, I don't know what you call them, battering rams that you just bash the door until it caves in. Well, you know, you're not going to win, win friends and influence people, particularly door knocking, if you, if you take one of those round with you and bash in a few doors. <laughs> Might make a few enemies, and not for the right reasons. Um, opening a door, have you ever tried to get, by human effort, into, into a space that God isn't giving you grace to go into? You know, anything that requires soul power, soul effort to get into, even Christian leadership, some people are, are there because they've, they've, they've you know, and I, 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 I'm, I'm someone that uh, in the past maybe even lusted after Christian leadership. Boy, was I in for a shock. What I thought it was was not what it is. <laughs> but, you know, got to work with your, your, your misconceptions. Um, however, <laughs> um, any, any human effort you, you use to get yourself into a particular position, you're going to have to exercise that same effort continually to stay there. Boy, don't try and open doors that God isn't opening. Don't try and barge them open. 
Wait until you're given the key. It will open very nicely then. <laughs> and once God opens the door, nobody can shut it. That's the beautiful thing. When God opens the door, I, I can't tell you, Ian, Graham, how hard we've worked for some other missions in other places, and they've just never, there's never been traction, there's never been grace, there's never been... But God opens the door here, and it's like the, the way is, is oiled. You know, of course there are challenges, but it's so different when God is opening the door. You, you know, you're just aware of not having to put all the effort in. God is doing it. Now, I'm not saying we don't work hard, but you understand that the Holy Spirit can just oil the way, and you know you're, you know you're on the right path. <laughs> um, and that's the case for this church in, in Philadelphia. Do they want that key? Um, that's, that's, that's questionable. What is the key for? I would suggest it's, it's an opportunity for salvation, yes, um, to open the door for people to come to Jesus. It's a narrow door. It's a narrow gate where people are saved. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. But I, I suggest it's that and it's evangelism. It's a key. It's a door opening for evangelism for this, this weak and small church in, um, in, in Philadelphia. And when God opens that door, if you go through it, no one can stop you. It's just choosing to go through it, you know, because um, we don't always know quite what's the other side. Um, and do we really want that, Jesus? Even after all we've prayed, do we really, do we really want it? <laughs> it's for the lost to come in and to get saved, and it's for service. We need both, don't we? The door open for people to come in and be saved, give their lives to Jesus. The door open for us to go out <clears throat> with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be commissioned every time we gather together as missionaries to, um, to, to Wolverhampton or where, wherever we might, we might live. You know, there's this grandiose idea that, well, I, I, the big gesture, I'll go over to Africa, I'll go over to India, and I've done it, and there's a place for that. But it's much harder to choose to be a missionary to your neighbors, to the people on your street, to the people in your local shops who know you. And it's much braver. I think there's more credit actually in it <laughs> for us to choose to be missionaries in the very place that, um, <laughs> that we're, we're, we're living, where we're, we're local. Dear old Keith Green, have you heard of Keith Green? Jesus commands us to go. It should be the exception if we stay. So it's so easy to write a check. Any Christian can write a check, mind you. Not everybody's wallet is saved yet. <laughs> but, but still, the principle is so easy to write a check. It's so hard to actually go. Even if it be 10 steps to your neighbor's door with a card and a cake and, and, a, and a Christian message. In all the uncertainty and weakness, Jesus doesn't say to them, wait until you are strong, wait until the persecution passes, bunker down, hunker down, I should say, wait until people won't be offended anymore, then go and evangelize. No, he says, now, today is the day of salvation. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. The city that was built to be a missionary city for Grecian culture is now perfectly placed, redemptively called, to be a missionary sending city for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these kind Greeks have built these wonderful roads on the Romans after them. Kindly built these wonderful big roads so the gospel... See, Jesus came at just the right time. <laughs> the gospel could go sweeping across 
Europe and into Asia and Africa. These kind Romans had built these wonderful roads just the right time. Same in Philadelphia. They've got these wonderful five roads going into the interior. They're just set for... You see, Jackie Pullinger. Anyone heard of Jackie Pullinger? She, the way she looks at you, you know, you can just see right through. You say, you English people, you are without excuse. You see, the world comes to you now. You don't have to go to them. You are without excuse. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the cultures that would come into, into Philadelphia... It's a gateway city, the people coming in and out, get them saved, get them, get them baptized, get them filled with the Spirit. They're going to take the message back wherever they go. They'll do the legwork. Just, just share the gospel. Don't know about Wolverhampton. I, I imagine you've got a fair bit of to and fro. Don't know if it's a gateway city, but it's certainly, you know, it's certainly multicultural. Certainly people from all over the globe here, I reckon. Amazingly, when an Islamic invasion swept out of Arabia and passed all the way through Europe, it went to the very gates of Vienna. You know, the, just this Islamization, Islamization, Islam, I don't know if that's how, yeah, <laughs> of, 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 of Europe. There was one small city that didn't bow the knee. There was one place where the church didn't bow the knee. Guess where it was? Philadelphia. Hallelujah. We don't know that, that we don't know the spiritual significance of the small actions we take have big have big impact in the spirit. We just don't know. We think, well, it's just little old me doing my own thing and not making much of a difference. And we don't know. When we stand in the evil day, what we are purchasing in the spirit. <laughs> another another of my favorite um, films, the gladiator film. About, yeah, what happens now echoes into eternity. Isn't that our truth? Isn't that our redemptive truth? <laughs> every small victory we, we have down here, every time we appropriate the blood of Jesus, every time, yes, the victory is won legally, but we need to make it won um, experientially. Every time we do, we don't know. I think there might be a street paved with gold in heaven. We just don't know the spiritual impact of our, our small victories, small in inverted commas, down here. Jesus is watching and waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. You know, we don't understand the power and the authority we have. We don't understand, you know, whole cultures and atmospheres can be, can be changed by a few Christians in agreement who know the power of the blood of Jesus. Still, in a largely Muslim Turkey, Philadelphia stands. We, again, don't perhaps always realize the roots that we put down spiritually, we don't know how that's going to strengthen, spirit, strengthen future generations. God is a God of generations. He's a God of, Isaac, uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, every battle we fight and win is a, is a battle our children won't have to fight and win. Every battle we shirk, every time we're cowardly, every time we, we run away, our children will have to fight that battle. The enemy's not going to go away. You know, this, this deception that we just put our head in the, the proverbial ostrich. If we put our head in the sand, eventually he'll go away. He'll get bored and go away. Well, I'm sorry, he's not going to go away. <laughs> it's either the kingdom of God or the dominion of darkness. Choose you this day who you serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Incredibly, Philadelphia still stands in a largely Muslim Turkey. 
Paul said this, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Maybe, maybe there's a case for praying for each other at the end or on another occasion that God will give us that Pentecostal boldness to fearlessly preach the gospel. I'm not sure I've ever you know, completely fearlessly preached the gospel. There's always an element of, you know, in your mind, well, what, what will they think? And have I gone too far or not far enough? Have I offended people? You know, just to fearlessly preach the gospel. Be delivered from all that, the what-ifs and the maybes. Well, what if the government don't like it? And what if the rainbow people say this? And what if they don't? And Well, for goodness sake, <laughs> there are people dying for their faith in other countries. You know, stand up, do the work of a soldier. God, there aren't going to be any rewards for fear in heaven. It's the overcomers. The fear of the Lord, yes, but not fear of, fear of man. This church in Philadelphia needs to be delivered from the fear of man. Uh, a pillar. Another imagery here. I love the way God, you know, Jesus... Um, as he did in his earthly ministry, he's so clever at using the things that were around him, things that were in culture, the parables, the metaphors. They're all you're just things that are readily available. We could think they're so conceptual, but he was just using farming equipment and you know, wine and, and grain and stuff, the stuff of life. Philadelphia was very susceptible to earthquakes. They happened regularly. Never mind the spiritual turbulence, there was natural turbulence as well. In many senses, the church didn't enjoy stability. What does Jesus promise them? It's the very opposite. You're going to be a pillar. What does pillar speak of? Permanence, strength. You know, it's going to be there for centuries, for, for, for millennium. You know? And the incredible thing is here, when, when, when the Roman Empire was in charge, and you pleased Caesar, you didn't get a golden boss letter inviting you to Buckingham Palace you know, where you could have cucumber sandwiches and stroke the corgis and whatever else, um, and, you know, and, and maybe a financial um, reward. No, when Caesar was pleased with you, certainly in Philadelphia, when you'd earned credit with Caesar, he would have someone inscribe your name on one of the pillars that go, through, that, 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 um, go along the side of the main street, the high street in Philadelphia. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> Anyone living in Philadelphia would know exactly what Jesus was saying. <laughs> on heaven's, on, on heaven's um, MBE list, you, you're going to be written down. <laughs> Your name's going to be on a pillar in heaven where no one can ever erase it. Wow. That's a place to have your reward. That's a place to have your, your recognition. I mean, an MBE wouldn't, you know, I'd go probably if I was invited. I'm not sure I ever will be. But, but you know, that's, that's transient. And people who, well, just speak freely, don't seem very nice at all have had MBEs. I'd rather have my name written on a pillar in heaven. You know, um, God is promising these Philadelphia. Yes, you might feel, you know, you're, 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 you're at, the, at the caprices of the Roman Empire. You know, got all these turbulent forces. But if you, if you hold true, if you're courageous, I'm going to write your name. These pillars um, in, in heaven. God's honors lists are built into his temple. I don't know about you, but I've always, I've always struggled with churches where you've got people who've paid for a, a plaque and a, a special place. And, you know, I, I, maybe, maybe it's me, but I, I, I struggle with that. But 
actually, maybe they got their idea from Revelations here. That people, you know, I've got my name written there. Um, well, the place to have it written down is in heaven. You know, it's never going to be erased. I mean, will anyone remember us in, in 100 years here? Maybe. They may, maybe remember you. But the important thing is that heaven knows who we are. Heaven recognizes us. Pillars speak of stability, endurance, permanence, holding up large structure. You see, the church needs pillars. You know, um, is it? Paul spoke about um, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars. The church need, needs pillars. It needs strong people who've dealt with their stuff, who are healed up on the inside, who are disciples, who can carry their own, you know, carry their own weight, um, who aren't coming, waiting for Sunday to, for other people to, to plump them up for the week ahead. They're, they're already strong. They're already fed up. You know, they're, they're coming because, God, break through. You know, um, we, we mustn't get into, you know, Sunday's my life support system, and it just gives me enough to get through to the next. No, we're called to be overcomers. Other people are going to need us to be pillars. Other people are going to need us to be stable and strong and secure and, and have longevity. If you noticed in, in ruins, um, if, if you go to Greece or Rome or places where there have been temples or, or buildings with pillars, you know, the roof might have come off. The side wall might be eroded away and crumbled down. But the, the pillars are still there. When everything else has passed through, the pillars remain. Surely that's a spiritual picture for what God wants for us. The promises, as I say, are only for the, uh, the overcomers. At no time in this message does Jesus say it's going to be easy, it's going to be comfortable, and you won't have to, to, to trouble yourselves too much. But the reward, the reward that God offers is, 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 is comparable to the challenge that we are given. You know, perhaps we'd all like a, a, a great reward. We don't want the great overcoming. We don't want the great challenge. Perhaps we'd all like to be um, encouraged in, in, in a fleshly way by being part of something bigger, more resources, more money, more buildings, more ministries, more this, more that. If we wait for that to happen, we may never go out with the gospel. I think growing churches are the best place to become disciples. Really, you could, if, you, if you put your shoulder to the wheel, God can grow you so fast. You know, um, you know, there, there are churches with a pastor for almost everything and, and you know, groups for this and groups for that and programs for this and seminars for that and praise God for all those things, they've got their place but if you put your shoulder to the wheel in a growing church you can be discipled so quickly, there's so much space the people who want a, a slot on Sunday morning at the mega church you know, may never get it, however, however talented they are if, you, if you're willing to be part of a growing church there's plenty of opportunity for service, plenty of opportunity for, for ministry. This, in, in conclusion, this Philadelphian church is given a threefold security. They belong to God. Yes, he's going to inscribe their names on these, on these pillars in heaven, just as the Caesar would inscribe the names of his, of, his, of his heroes along the high street in Philadelphia. They belong to God. But the, the other side of that reality is God belongs to us. God belongs to us. Our name is written in his hands. But if you read the Song of Songs, and we love Jesus. His name is written on our arm and on our heart. It's a two-way deal. 
He is ours and, and we are his. One, you need one to have the other. They belong to God's city. They have an inheritance in that heavenly Jerusalem. Love that song we sang earlier. They have an inheritance in that, that heavenly Jerusalem. Do you want real estate? That heavenly Jerusalem? You know, I'd like to buy my house down here. I'd like to do, go to, do away with my mortgage. You know, I'm sick of, sick of mortgages and, and all, all the ins and outs. And, um, but oh, better to have real estate in heaven. <laughs> better have to have an inheritance in that heavenly, heavenly Jerusalem. They belong to God's city. Not only do they belong to it, but they're written into the pillars of it. That's the best place to have um, your name written, to have your inheritance. And they belong to God's Son, Jesus. We belong to God's Son, Jesus. When we name him on earth, he names us in heaven. I don't think I've even begun to step into the reality that I belong to Jesus. I carry his delegated authority. Just, just the merest shallows of understanding what, what has been given. You know, the power, the authority, the grace, the inheritance. Don't know about you. I want that revelation to grow. We can't go further than our revelation. Let's ask God to expand our revelation of who we are in Christ and who Christ is to us. So in, in, in final conclusion, God's challenge to you, as if I haven't thrown out enough challenge already, um, but Peter and I will be off in the car fairly soon. So one final stir of the, the wooden spoon before I go. <laughs> Leave it to Graham. Um, God's challenge to you. And you may not feel like this, but I'm just... If in your felt weakness, in the felt inadequacy, and in the beginnings of Christian persecution, will you boldly share your faith and share in his reward? Will you be that, that missionary city, Philadelphia, the church of, of brotherly love? You know, will, will you have your name written in a Hope City Church? I think there's a corporate sense and an individual sense. Hope City Church, written on a pillar in on a, on a pillar in the New Jerusalem, in the temple of the, the New Jerusalem, and also your individual names all <laughs> lined up beneath it. I think God wants to encourage you um, that you are a church of, of brotherly love. There's, there's, no, there's no reproach. There's no condemnation. God is with you, and in your weakness is his strength. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, if, if, if it is indeed of you, if, if there was anything that you were saying through my words. Let it stay, let it grow. If not, let it all just blow away and fall to the ground, Lord God. Let Jesus be revealed um, in us and through us for your glory, Lord. Amen.